If you want to make things that make things better, have fun doing it, and learn to help yourself and everyone around you flourish, well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Enliven. This is the show where we explore what's possible and the people, the principles, and the practices that are going to help you build enlivening products and enlivening organizations. If you're anything like me, you spend a lot of time and energy in your career, and you want it to be a joyful, rewarding, and positively challenging experience. But you've probably struggled with that at times. I know I have. In this conversation, I am thrilled to bring you one of the best thinkers I have found yet on crafting a joyful and meaningful career at the same time. I'm your host, Andrew Scottsko, and my guest in this episode is Laura Garnett. Laura is a performance strategist, a TEDx speaker, and a regular contributor to Inc. and Forbes, as well as numerous other publications and conferences around the world. She's the author of the highly acclaimed book, The Genius Habit, and the tactical follow-up guide, Find Your Zone of Genius, which just released and which I highly recommend you order today. It's already helped me a ton, and I just got my hands on it. As a performance strategist, Laura works with highly motivated CEOs, executives, and managers who want to maximize their engagement, tap into their unique talents, and access a whole new level of joy and hunger at work as well as create that kind of experience for their teams. In a nutshell, Laura helps people identify their unique genius and purpose and craft an actionable plan to leverage that understanding in their day-to-day work, to live from that place. Laura has consulted with leading organizations all over the world, including Capital One, OpenTable, LinkedIn, and Instructure, among many others. Prior to launching her own company, she honed her marketing, strategy, and career-refining skills at companies like Capital One, American Express, IAC, and Google. In this conversation, we go deep on how to connect with your unique zone of genius, that integration of the head and the heart where you are intellectually on fire and emotionally invested, how to own the value you bring and how to create joy in your day-to-day work, as well as more enlivening and supportive ways to think about success. On top of all of that, for part of this conversation, Laura actually puts me in the hot seat and helps me uncover the core emotional challenge that drives my sense of purpose and impact and has me share openly about some things that I never have before. I hope this is useful to you as an example of an important part of her process because it was really vulnerable for me. With all of that, please enjoy this conversation to help you unlock your zone of genius with Laura Garnett. Laura, welcome to the show. I have to say, I am so excited to have you on the show. Ever since I picked up your first book like six months ago, I think I emailed you in the middle of the book. It was like, I, we, you know, I have questions. We have to talk. So I'm so <laughs> excited uh, to have you here today. What a pleasure. Thanks for being here. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Well, I'm so happy to be here. And it was great to hear from you and get so many amazing questions as you were going through the book. So this is my absolute pleasure. For sure. I mean, as is probably obvious by now, I'm helplessly curious. It's going to be a lot of fun to jam today and, and explore a lot of these ideas because I, I absolutely love uh, your work. But before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes, hmm. right before we hit record, there was something you mentioned to me that I thought would be a fun place to start, which was that, and I think this is sort of in the background of a lot of the work you do, which is that there are these sort of systemic obstacles, so to speak, to help for, to people really being connected to who they are and knowing who they are and being able to live from that truth. Yeah. And I would just love to hear, you know, I know that's top of mind for you today. So I'd love to hear what's what's going on there. Yeah. I mean, I just got out of a client session and, you know, I'm preparing a talk for tomorrow. And this is just something that comes up time and time again. And is that, you know, what you hear from society, um, what your parents will tell you, what our educational system teaches us, what your friends will tell you in terms of, you know, what's right to do for success um, is often the exact opposite of what is really mm. right for you or, you know, even when it comes to looking at the psychology and science of success. And I find that fascinating. It's, it's depressing and sad, but it's also, it's also interesting because so many people are do they think they're doing the best they can and they're doing all of the right things and they're not. So why is that? Like what's going on there is that, you know, you, you kind of alluded to there's actually a, a, a relatively simple but maybe yeah. not easy answer to this. What do you what are you seeing there? I think it's the law of conformity. So I think that we all, you know, that law in itself, the urge to conform and be similar to everyone around us is so powerful. Hmm. And, you know, there's research on this, um, you know, the famous Arthur Ashe research where disagreeing with the group can actually feel painful. So people, you know, yeah. participants in this study would actually agree to something that was completely obviously wrong rather than go against the group. And I think this is fundamental in success and career decisions and how one thinks about these things is that you want to conform. And most people, 
I would say most people tend to to be at a mediocre place and be think that that's the best they can do. So there's a sense of let's keep everyone in that space because then it's more comfortable. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I also think to our education system, you know, starts them out in their life thinking that there's something wrong with them if they're not straight mm-hmm. A students. And I think that's also a, where a lot of this begins too. You know, it reminds me of a book I read 10 years ago, something like that, that yeah. just really pissed me off, but in, in potentially a good way. Um, it was called Weapons of Mass Instruction. <laughs> And it was all about the basically the the industrialized school system, and, the, and it, it kind of went into the the history of the um, current, at least the current system of mass schooling in America, and the idea that it was literally designed to support the industrialized economy. Yeah, and it was designed to train compliant workers. So yeah. everything you were saying about like the, the fitting in, I mean, that was built into the school system um, by design. But I think it's just so interesting to see. There's like this biological base of like the pain of, you know, Arthur Ashe's experiments with groupthink, where literally we get like an error signal in the brain when we're perceiving ourselves as out of the group. And then coupling that with an industrialized uh, school system, it's like, yeah, you have kind of a perfect recipe for this systemic issue that we're talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing is, is that I know that, you know, transforming the education system is a monster. It's a big job. It's complicated. It's not easy. And, you know, I've talked to really forward thinking principals who, who really say again, like, you know, the school system should mirror the, the professional world. There should be choice. There should be fluctuations. And even one principal said, you know, there should, it shouldn't be subjects. It should be problems. You choose the problem to solve and then you learn the subjects along the way of solving a problem, which is essentially how we operate in the business world, you know? Yeah, that's what real jobs and real work looks like. Right, exactly. And so, but until, you know, all of that transforms, which probably is going to take a long time, I really think that similar to how I help individuals transform themselves and their work experience within the confines of the corporate world as it is now, it's it's really about changing yourself and changing your perspective and changing how you um, how you react to things. And again, you know, in the school thing, it's about parents also doing that with their kid. I mean, I just, you know, every single client I have, there's just stories that, you know, make me so sad about kids being judged for bad grades. And then they ultimately have confidence issues um, for a very long time as a result. And then they suffer um, long term because of that. Yeah, 100%. I feel like that's a, a really good kind of jumping off point to get into the start to get into the meat of, of your work in this conversation. Yeah. So the, the book is called The Genius Habit. The book that's going to be coming out next week is uh, Find Your Zone of Genius, the follow-on, sort of the action-packed guide to uh, finding, you know, to the genius habit. I've had the privilege of reading both and I really loved both of them. So cool. first off, I want to say thank you for your work because it's actually made, it was like the perfect thing for me at the perfect time where Ooh. I was really, over the last six to 10 months, have really been going through a process of rediscovering and exploring what would it look like for me to prioritize joy in my working life mm. as opposed to just accomplishment. I like, you know, I think in the book you talk about like an achievement junkie, I'm hundred yeah. percent a recovering achievement junkie. And so it was kind of the perfect thing at the perfect time. So I'm just, first of all, already benefited tremendously from your work and wanted you to know that. So thank you. You're welcome. Let's go ahead and lay a quick conceptual foundation for people who haven't had the, the benefit of, of your work yet. So just really quick, I'd love you to kind of distinguish what is the zone of genius. And I'd love you to kind of distinguish a couple terms that I feel like kind of get mixed up in this conversation for people pretty broadly, in particular, four terms, which are genius, passion, purpose, and personality. Oh, all good ones. Okay. Um, So let's start with the zone of genius. Now, the reason that I used this framework, framework was because when I was doing research on the science and the psychology and neuroscience of performance, um, what I discovered is that there's two really important data points to great individual performance, and that is being challenged and being fulfilled or having, you know, intrinsic motivation for the work that you're having. And the best way that I could strive, describe that is making sure that the impact that you're having is connected to who you are. So the zone of genius essentially is your genius plus your purpose. Um, your genius is the thinking or problem solving that you're best at, and that checks the challenge box, the intellectual challenge box. And purpose is the impact on others or in the world that is most meaningful to you, and that checks the intrinsic motivation box. Um, so those are two data points that um, whenever I work with anyone, it's always a starting point to understand that. And it's really um, a quick, simple way to give to to 
deepen self-awareness and just have a sense of, of who you are with those two data points. And then again, you know, in terms of the words that you were asking for a definition, I think one thing that really confuses people so much in this industry and in this plight is passion. Mm-hmm. You know, I should, if I follow my passions, then I will find work that I love or I will, the path to success is through, laid by passions. Mm-hmm. And what I've found is that it is usually quite the opposite or that there's just a little bit of a, a fine tuning of passions that's needed in the sense that passions tend to be finite. They can kind of, they can be short term. Um, they can... A little bit fleeting. Fleeting, yes. I mean, I like to think of it in, in terms of relationships. Everyone knows that, you know, passion has a, you know, has a deadline to it. Um, and it can feel mm-hmm. really magical for a really, for a period of time. And it makes you think that, you know, it will never go away, but it does. Um, and it's the same with work. So people will often follow a passion and find that actually when it comes to the work itself, they don't even like it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, an important distinction. And I always say that passions are nice to have. If you, I'm going to go back to the original framework. If you're challenged intellectually and you're fulfilled by the impact that you're going to have, you're going to have a great work experience. So you throw a passion in on top of that, fantastic. You know, I always say like, great. Yeah, nice, nice cherry on top. It's a cherry on top. Like, you know, for me with my clients, I mean, my business is structured around my zone of genius. And, you know, I'm always using my zone of genius when I work with clients. But if, hey, if they happen to work in the fitness industry, for example, or or like they they work at Peloton and I'm obsessed with my Peloton bike, that's kind of a passion that's thrown on top. It doesn't define the experience. It just gives me a little bit of excitement. And that's really how it should be used as a nice to have. Um, and I would, I always tell people when you're operating in your zone of genius, you don't even care about the passions because joy and intrinsic, you know, intellectual challenge and joy and intrinsic motivation are such powerful forces that it's, it really is all you need. So the way I've sort of explained it is you need the head and the heart. You need yes. to be intellectually on fire and you need to be fulfilled. Like you need to be emotionally moved by the impact of whatever you're doing. Uh, said another way, it's about finding the, the activities that energize you and those like using those hard won skills mm. that, you know, you're like the stuff you're really good at and you love being good at it and you want to keep getting better at it. Take those skills and use them on something that is meaningful to you. And it's like you take that a combination of like energy and this thing is meaningful and you got you had a nice combo there. That's kind of how I've been explaining it. How does that jive with with what you see? And yeah, I mean, I think the head and the heart description is perfect. The word meaningful, I think you have to make sure you put impact is meaningful. Um, because another thing that I find that people often confuse is intellectual challenge and fulfillment or meaning. Yeah, I will say to, you know, to give me an example of a time you were really in the zone intellectually, and they will invariably give me a purpose moment where what they were doing just felt, you know, had a lot of meaning for them, mm-hmm. um, or vice versa, they'll, they'll think that the meaningful moment is a challenge. Um, so I think that's also and again, this is about awareness and paying attention um, to what's really going on. So when you're I always say you're in the zone when you're using your genius and you're in the zone of genius. When you're using your genius and having the impact of your purpose. Could you distinguish a little bit more? I feel like the the idea of impact and purpose kind of get muddied a bit, not so much in your work, but generally speaking, what's the difference? Well, it's because this is, yes, purpose is a big word and even meaningful is a big word. And when you look at, when you think of impact, it's literally about how did what you do, how did it land on someone? Mm-hmm. Did they have an, ex- an emotional response to what you were doing that you intended to have or that is actually connected to your heart? Mm-hmm. So for ex- I'll give you an example. So with my work, you know, I, my purpose is helping people see themselves for who they are. Now, when I answer the question in the tracker, which I'm sure we'll talk about as well, what was the impact that you made this week? So that's one of the, the a really important question that the tracker asks, and this is the tool that's part of the genius habit, is just to have awareness and think about everyone that you interacted with in this past week, how would they describe the impact that you had on them? Hmm. And invariably, 
in order for me to have, you know, be in my zone of genius, I, I want to have had the impact of helping other people, you know, really see themselves, be seen. And so that's a really important question for me to ask when I'm working with a client. And do I, do I sense? And again, your, it's, this is your perspective. Do I feel like they were seen as a result of this session? And generally, and if they're not, this is what's so fascinating is, because sometimes I don't think they have felt seen. And then I'll ask myself, well, why is that? Well, actually, that isn't an ideal client. They don't want to be seen. Hmm. So for me, that's another important, um, really important ingredient uh, for my work and the kind of clients I work with is that they want to be seen. Because I've had clients that don't want to be seen. And uh, it's, uh, it'll be impossible for me to help them see themselves if they don't want to be seen. What I've heard you say elsewhere is that really this is, you know, an organization can create, can like kind of make it easier. It can create the conditions for people to do this better. It can provide resources, state that it's important, things like mm. this. But this is, this is fundamentally an individual's responsibility, right? It's every person's responsibility yes. to do this. Like we're all ultimately responsible for our own happiness. And, and there is, you know, I can speak to this personally, having gone through, um, been working through this process. And we're going to do, I think we may do some of that live on, on this, um, this conversation. I can say it is an investment, right? It is like there is real work here. Oh, yeah. And so I, and so what I'd love to hear is a little bit of a before and after kind of story. Like hmm. for people who are approaching this, they're saying, Hey, I really, you know, by the end of this conversation, I'm pretty sure people who have listened to it are going to be very compelled and moved by your work and want <laughs> to do this. But I want to, I want them to have a, a light at the end of the tunnel. What's the payoff? Here's what happens. First and foremost, um, career decisions are made effortlessly. Um, you approach job change with confidence. You have no fear of the job search. You are super clear and able to talk succinctly with cl and clarity about who you are to anyone, mm -hmm. and especially in an interview. And people are able to very quickly uh, be able to connect with the value you have. And I would say that... One of the most exciting things is you just don't have any more fear of, you know, the career process. That seems, that seems amazing, first of all. <laughs> but I, I would say the other thing that I'll say was really motivating to me um, that I think I'm curious if this is also something you observe with the people you work with is in addition to everything you just said, the idea that like every day, your day to day work could be oh, yes. a source of joy. Like yes. that seems like such a payoff that it, it's almost for many people probably out like just outside the realm of possibility. They're like, I almost don't believe it. Like too good to be true kind of thing. You know, yeah, that's and and I probably should have mentioned that as well. But and you know, and I will say that that's so much a part of my reality that sometimes it's hard for me to even disconnect from that. Like it's it is my reality. I love what I do every day, and um, again, this is, um, I you know. Absolutely. That is possible. But again, to your point that you, you made earlier, it is work. So the clients of mine that um, can match my joy for work, because most people, I, I, I've been doing this for 11 years. I, I'm very practiced at this. And so I do have a lot, I have a lot of joy for what I do. Um, but I've had clients that can match that because they still do the work. I fill out the performance mm -hmm. tracker every week and I've done so now for as as many years as it's been developed. So probably six or seven years. The people that don't do that, they start to disconnect from the joy and because they're disconnecting mm -hmm. from themselves. So I would say, you know, this work is kind of analogous to showering or working, maybe working out um, in the sense that the more you focus on it, then the more possible daily joy is. It's like leading a healthy lifestyle. The same way that you yeah. know you don't just get healthy tomorrow. Like there's a lifestyle you have to lead in terms of diet and exercise and sleep and all these things. Similarly, it's like there is a it seems like it's a lifestyle of having joy at work, right? And and it's something that we can take on and create for ourselves. Absolutely. And most people have been disappointed by the things that they have tried towards that end. And I think what's so great about your work and, and what got me going on it was that you, you bridged it from a concept to a behavior. And that's really where that, the idea of the habit and the tracker comes in. Absolutely. And I would say, you know, when I uh, went through my massive career crisis at Google, um, that's what was, I found what was missing. Yeah. That because there's, and as you know, because you study this stuff, the career space is huge. There's so much information. And um, 
but what I was lacking was the process and the the yeah. way to shift my behavior or my habits in order to get a different work experience. What is the process? You know, let's, if we just want to paint yeah. the high level picture for people, they know what to expect. Yeah, well, it's, you know, the genius habit in itself, you know, in a sense, the core of the genius habit is essentially filling out the performance tracker every week. And um, it is, it, the tracker is meant to be a, um, a checkpoint for yourself. And the tracker does a number of things. The first thing that it does is that it allows you to really assess if you've been, you know, using you, you know, your zone of genius over the past week Mm -hmm. and why or why not? Why have you, what, you know, what caused you to be in your, to use your genius or have the impact of your purpose? Why or why not? And to really step back and think about, you know, well, what could I do? What is in my power of control? Um, to help have more of those moments for the week ahead. Mm-hmm. The other thing it does is that I, you know, I distilled all of the the research that I did on this topic into the tracker, because you know, as I mentioned earlier in the conversation, everything that society and your parents and everybody tells you to do the wrong thing. So then, one of the problems with being super successful is people don't really know what to do or what is important. And so the tracker asks Mm -hmm. questions around some of the most important um, habits around having great success, such as the growth mindset, grit, perseverance, curiosity. Um, And then lastly, I think even the most powerful thing about it is that the other thing that I discovered is that a lot of the, the questions that we have about our career, um, our performance, or what's really going on here. We always, you know, at the end of a week, you have a series of questions like this horrible thing happened. Why did that happen? And Mm -hmm. the instinct is to call a friend or call a colleague or someone Mm -hmm. and say, here's what happened. What do you think? What do you think? I don't know. (laughs) Um, And invariably, they're going to be like, well, here's what I think. And then you go in that direction. And what I found is that the answer to your question is actually within you. But we don't pause Mm. and reflect and and excavate that answer before looking for it elsewhere. And so, uh, again, the more you are connected to yourself, the less fear you have about decisions in your path because the answers are within. So the tracker allows you to have that moment of reflection and be able to answer the questions that you're having from yourself. And I have just, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's probably one of the most amazing things about it is that I go into the, I fill out the tracker and I go in with questions. And at the end, I'm very clear. And it also allows you to know, all right, for the, for the questions that I can't answer myself, these are the ones that make sense to go out and seek support or advice from, Mm -hmm. um, so that it's a lot more strategic, you know, because oftentimes advice and support will steer you in a a wrong direction as well. So that's the genius habit. It's filling out the tracker, which takes, about 15 minutes um, once a week. I've been playing with it myself for the last couple of months and I found it to the experience of it to be very similar to what you're just describing there where uh, you know I do it on Friday afternoons and so I'll walk into that, I'll sit down and I'll be like, maybe I'm confused, maybe I'm tired, whatever the case may be. And my experience of it has been that by the end, I've got a pretty, a pretty good snapshot of yeah. where I'm at you know, for that week. And it, and it's it, what's really interesting I found is when I get to like look back over the quarter and see the patterns and I'm like, hmm, why is it that in week seven of every quarter I am like fried or or whatever the case may yeah. be? And, it, and it's almost like it's a little like dashboard to help me navigate better week to week and, and understand where it's almost like it's helping me. It's flagging things that are going out before it's a, like it's like yellow flags, right? It's catching exactly. things before it gets really bad where it's like, oh man, I am really feeling um, a little bit burned out or I'm on the path to burnout. What can I do to stave that off exactly. and get ahead of it? That was like, you're the poster child for this, for this tool. <laughs> That's perfect. If only I was actually consistent doing it every week, but I've been pretty fairly consistent. Yeah. I mean that, but you just hit on such an important part and that goes back to you ask, well, what are, what do you get out of this? And when you have clarity about, mm-hmm. you are clear about decisions because you notice things much sooner before they mm-hmm. become, you know, really detrimental. So, I mean, most people don't realize they're burnout until they're, you know, I guess, you know, in, uh, uh, what's her name? The Ariana, uh, Ariana Huffington, you know, had to fall on the oh, yeah. ground and bleed out of her head. Uh, if she was filling out the tracker, if she was filling out the tracker, I'm telling you, she could have avoided a major head injury. But this is, you know, this is, again, one of the things that I want to help with is that most people allow themselves to get to the 
to to a you know nine one one stage before they actually get help or begin to fix the problem. Or you know even another scenario is that they get fired. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's one of the um, the biggest uh, issues that the tracker and the genius habit can solve is that you will know way before your company does if it's time to leave. And more often than not, the company will end up deciding for you, which to me is another heartbreaking aspect of career because that means you've wasted time. Um, if Because the company has to do so many, go through so many hurdles to actually fire someone that at that point, you've wasted time and nobody wants to do that. And it's painful. You, know, you said a couple of minutes ago that one of the payoffs of this is no fear about the job search. Mm. And I know a lot of people, particularly, I mean, right now we're recording this, it's, it's the beginning of July. Um, and you know, we're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic and there's been massive disruption in the economy and in, in the whole world. A lot of people are facing a fearful job search. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit more about that. Like, how can this really make a difference for those people in like, cause I think everybody would love the idea of the job search being exciting instead of terrifying. Well, I will caveat that with the actual process of a job search is most likely not in line with your zone of genius. I mean, it is a very, um, specific process you have to do in order to find a job. And it's oftentimes boring, but, um, being fearless is absolutely possible because more often the fear that comes with the job search is just a not knowing if there's going to be a job out there. And B, when you are faced with an interview or a potential opportunity, um, not knowing how to tell if that's the right job or not. Mm-hmm. And invariably, always taking the first job that comes because of the fear that there's not one around the corner. When you know your zone of genius and you know yourself deeply, then you will very e- be able to very easily and effortlessly talk about the value you can possess, be able to look at a job and say yes or no very quickly. And then if it's a yes, go into an interview and be very clear and confident about why it's a yes. And that is mm-hmm. often the things that are missing with the job search. That does sound really promising. I, you know, I, I just helped my brother think he, my brother just went through a job search and, yeah. and I was one, you know, one of the people on, on his phone, a friend list, uh, to talk through issues. And one yeah. of the things that helped him a lot, it wasn't using this work specifically. I wish we had, but it was this idea of understanding as he looked at different job opportunities, he could understand because he was coming at it. We said like, okay, wait, yes, there's, you know, this role and this role and this role and role fit is huge, mm. but it's a fit to you. It's a fit between you and the role. And so it was much more of a conversation about like, yeah, you could do that or you could do that or you could do any of these, even they look really different on the surface. But by understanding more of what is he really good at and what does he enjoy, does that role give him a chance to yes. really use that and express that? And if yes, then cool, we have something to talk about. And if not, then, you know, probably, probably not a good thing to explore. Yeah. And I would say more often than not, people are trying to make themselves appear like they're a good fit for the role. And they're also nervous because, oh my goodness, what if I'm not actually, I don't have what they need versus doing Mm -hmm. the opposite, which is, wait a second, here's who I am. And is this the right opportunity for me? And you're the one that's interviewing them rather than feeling Mm -hmm. like you're on this, you know, they're, they're totally in control. You have just as much control. Yeah. And I think when you are really practiced at owning your value, it's a lot easier to, to come off a as super confident because you're clear and you can educate the interviewer on you and also how would you approach this potential role? That's one thing I talk with clients about in the job search is you should be going in with an idea of here's who I am and here's how I would approach this role. Here's how I see, here are the opportunities, here is this. I mean, you it just it's a different frame. It's a different way of looking at it. If you're coming from a posture of confidence, generosity, and abundance, like, you know, this is what I bring to the table and how I can help you as an organization, total game changer than showing up like kind of hat in hand saying, hey, is this, you know, can you help me out? It's it's just the whole thing is different. Trying to be someone you're not in order to get, you know, a job offer, which actually breeds desperation. You can feel the desperation. And I think, too, I would say I would add to that that probably one of the things that makes a job search so nerve-wracking, and again, of course, in a pandemic even more so, is this this kind of irrational fear that there's no job out there for you. Mm-hmm. And once you are clear on who you are, that that fear kind of subsides because you know there will be something. Yeah, I, I think what's really great about it, and, and we're, we're going to kind of use this as a pivot point, but is that it's not abstract. It's it's very it's very concrete and specific. It's not like, oh, I'm, you know, 
you know, looking at, you can take a test like the, um, uh, what's it called? The VIA signature strengths or character strengths or the, the Gallup signature strengths test. Any of these things that oh, are, yeah. they're nice. They're, you know, they're interesting. They are usually, in my experience, at least somewhat accurate, right? I'm like, yeah, that is a pretty de- decent description of me, but often it's hard to bridge that into now. How does that actually create value? Exactly. But I found that really tapping into like for, for me the genius the, the label that I'm playing with for for um, my genius inside your framework is as a possibility strategist right mm. I am really great at exploring um exploring and unfolding pathways into future possibilities like I'm really really good at that and that knowing that helps me articulate something to someone about like oh I can help you in this way and you know and it also helps me say oh you know that is that role probably not a good fit for me or, or you know that project not a fit for me exactly. um, so I, I can speak from my own experience that it's been it's been super helpful just in the you know the few months I've been uh, living with it yeah and I mean in that you know possibility strategist it's really easy I mean again with any sort of genius once you're clear to look at a job description and say where's the possibility here is the, the thinking that I love doing is that needed and even you know to me saying that in an interview mm-hmm. I'm a possibility strategist um, and this is what really lights me up I mean I really believe that you know people are um, that's the other thing with this is that people are drawn to to people that understand and know themselves that that one came to me pretty quickly, actually, reading through your book. I, I actually looked back at my notes in your book, and, and I, early on, I even like jotted it down. It was like one of the first ones that went through my head. It just came to me. Yeah. And it, it's actually held up pretty well. So that, that's kind of interesting. Is that a common experience for people who go through the process? You know, I think it depends. Um, some people, I would say uh, people tend to have a better sense of what their genius is versus the purpose mm. and the core emotional challenge. But some people ha- struggle to see that. I really think that um, your ability to to see something is connected to your relationship with yourself or how much personal growth you've done or how much uh, reflection you've done about yourself. Um, if you've done zero, um, then it's much harder to be able to to kind of see this information in yourself, which is why in the book, you know, the whole process of getting to the point of seeing your genius is, is a lot of questions about your life. So I... I take people on a journey through those questions um, for them, a journey into themselves, essentially. You talked about personality mm. earlier and you know, how that yes. is that's kind of an important factor in this equation. And so I have two questions about personality. Yeah. First, the question is, uh, how does sort of more broadly, how does personality play into this in terms of like choosing environments where we work or engage, things like that? And secondly, you talk about the, the, the idea that our genius won't change over time, but the ways in which we express it will. Hmm. And so my question is, is there, is there some sort of biological basis for this? And, and how, you know, how do we know that the genius doesn't change over time the way our personalities do? Because our personalities do evolve and shift over time. Hmm. So that's, I'm curious to explore that a little bit. Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. So personality is really, in my mind, how you orientate yourself to the world and to people and to environments. And, you know, I always use Myers-Briggs and I find that personality type is really helpful in understanding what kind of, you know, organization, groups of people um, are best suited to you. So again, think of the environment Mm -hmm. in which you're in. Mm -hmm. And I, especially when it comes with conflict, you know, which obviously in the workplace, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of conflict. Whenever I see conflict, it's invariably related to uh, personality differences. Now, keep in mind the zone of genius, though, uh, personality is environment and um, gene- zone of genius is who you, who you are, your intellectual, your, your head and your heart. That's how I would describe. Mm-hmm. The reason mm-hmm. why, uh, you know, I have not found that the genius changes is because it's a mental process that you just most enjoy going through. And this mental process doesn't ever get boring. The thing that does evolve Mm. is how you apply that mental process and the degree in which you uh, apply it. So, for example, you know, that to me, that's probably that's one of the reasons why I feel continuous joy with my work, because I am infinitely like the the realm of challenge is infinite. Mm. Yeah. I can take my genius and I, if I'm focused on using my genius, I, I actually feel myself getting more skilled at it. It's an amazing feeling and process. And again, I can control the environment. I can make the ways in which I use that mental process even harder and harder and harder. I can challenge that. 
And that's the thing mm-hmm. that changes. And so you can actually observe yourself um, getting more skilled with that particular mental process over time. Mm-hmm. Personality type, like, you know, look, I, they, a lot of, there's, there's so much research on personality type, you know, it's kind of, they say you're born with it. And again, it evolves over. I think personality kind of evolves with how you evolve as a person. And I think age and maturity makes a difference. Although, you know, oftentimes you don't veer dramatically away from where you started. So there can be changes. Mm-hmm. I have not just, you know, with genius, I think it's just a mental process that's part of who you are. And um, that doesn't really alter. It's just a matter of like, if you never use it, it probably fades. Do you know what I mean? Um, whereas it's kind of like it's it's kind of like a tool. Um, the more you use it, the more the the sharper it gets, and that's what I've uh, found with my with my genius. And obviously, the purpose, and that's why connecting it to a core emotional challenge or wound, it's always with you. It's it's kind of mm-hmm. you know it's in the fabric of your it's in your cells like this pain that you um it shaped who you are it never goes away I mean you can obviously do the work to heal it and um, I encourage people to do that work so you're not at the mercy of that wound um, but you, it will never disappear from you entirely you know look I I think there are not that many people that are deeply connected to who they are over a period of a lifetime so I really that's why I want to live a long time because I want to see you know what are the what are the iterations of my zone of genius over a hundred years like oh my god I'm so excited I can't wait to see what a fun question right yeah. like as longevity you know come on Dave Asprey and all the longevity hackers <laughs> like hook it up I do often think, you know, as a 90-year-old or a 100-year-old, I know that I'm going to be using my zone of genius. And I I can I daydream of different uh, ways and permutations of it. And I think this goes back to the original conversation about fear of a job search. And when the pandemic hit or the world changes, I don't have fear around that because I can pivot my zone of genius to match the way the world is evolving and shaping. And as long as I'm connected to it, then the 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 permutations of it are infinite. There is no finite, yeah. you can never use this again. I've, I, in my mind, I already know, like that's why I would never be scared of a job search because there's so many different things I could do that are aligned with my zone of genius. Yeah, that's been my experience too. Just having that first piece of just, uh, just the genius part itself, understanding that for me, that idea of like being a possibility strategist, it, it helps me understand, oh, no wonder I've always been so interested in the futures we can create and how do we actually make them real. And understanding that, I was like, oh, I can do that in all kinds of ways. I, I do that on this podcast. I do that in my day job. I do that in side projects. There's infinite permutations of how I do it. And it's not like I love the craft that I practice, the function that I, I work on in, in technology. I love product development and product management. It's such a great fit for that, for that genius and for also like my strengths in synthesis. But it's also like, oh, well, what if I didn't do that anymore? I could create equally exciting roles in, I don't know, strategy or other things like that, right? But understanding, oh, what this is what connects the dots under the hood. I find that to be very um, freeing is the word, I think. Exactly, exactly. It is very freeing. Very cool. Great. It was easier to get clear on my genius. I'm still kind of fuzzy around the purpose. Um, so maybe that's something we could talk about. Sure, let's talk about it. So you said you're possibility strategist. So you're like 100% on that. I don't know if I'd say 100, but it's, it's up around the 90s for sure. That's great. So then that's right, if you feel that clear. So what about the purpose? What do you think that you're... And again, so for your listeners, the purpose is connected to your core emotional challenge. So the first step to understanding your purpose for this framework is understanding um, your own core emotional challenge. And again, this is... Um, most people will respond to that and say, oh, I've had lots of emotional baggage and issues. Um, but invariably, they all roll up into one mega core emotional challenge. And so... And, and again, it's, it's almost pervasive in terms of, um, your experience of this core emotional challenge is, is all the time. It's in your current life. It's been kind of a theme for your, um, for your past. And, and again, once you're able to put language to it, you see it coming up even more. So that's just kind of the, mm. the backdrop. So what do you think your core emotional challenge is? So first of all, I'm I'm totally willing to go in the hot seat. I've done it before. I feel a little bit excited, a little bit nervous, uh, a little scared, which is always a good combo in my experience. So let's let's do this and see where it goes. Cool. Um, what's the question again? What what do I think the core? What do you? I mean, do you have a sense of what your core emotional challenge is? 
based on conversations I've had in other personal development work I've done in the past and things that I've seen, it's what I've seen before, I would say something along the lines of feeling that I matter mm. or, um, you know, um, that, that would, that's probably what I would say. Yeah. And what is that connected to? Why you, that you don't matter? What is that from? Um, I, th- I think it's connected to a sense of the way I grew up. Um, I, I, you know, somewhere early on in my childhood, I think I had some experiences where I decided that what I, what I wanted, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the story I told myself was that what I wanted didn't matter. Mm -hmm. Um, and that all that mattered was like the external approval basically. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I've seen a, a long history that I've been doing my own work to overcome of like really seeking external validation and, that's that's why I say that. But why would you think you don't matter? Um, what comes to mind immediately is a number of painful experiences hmm. um, growing up. One, you know, like I grew up in a way where um, my, my parents worked for the government and the military. And so we moved around a lot. And so I was constantly like kind of being yanked out of one environment into another uh, against my own wishes. Hmm. Um, also, I felt a lot of pressure to go down a, a career path hmm. um, that ultimately turned out really wasn't what I wanted, but it was much more of like what my father wanted. Mm. Um, and I felt that that was, it, it almost didn't matter what I wanted. It was mm. like, you know, this is what you, you need to. And what did that look like? I mean, was, was he like, uh, this is what you're going to do or what was the, it wasn't, it wasn't, I don't know if it was that overt. Um, but it was, you know, so it was, it was, I'll just say like, I felt, uh, enormous pressure to go down the military government route, right? Like I, I remember when I was digging into this, into this work, um, I remember asking myself the question of like, okay, in third grade, I was like a happy go lucky, you know, just kid doing, Mm -hmm. you know, playing games and whatever. And some, and then by like, not sure exactly call it seventh, eighth grade, somewhere in there. I was this like super serious, ultra intense focused kid who was like dead set on going to West Point. And Mm -hmm. that was it. Like I was going there no matter what. And I did it. I, I did the whole process. I got into West Point. Um, I ended up at the last minute, like saying, no, this isn't right for me and choosing a completely different path. But, um, I, I found myself trying to figure out, like, how did that happen? Like, mm. how did it, how, that isn't a normal, that isn't a normal thing for a kid in like 13 to be thinking about like going in the military and going to war and all that stuff. And all I can really come up with is, um, that it was very like, I felt enormous pressure to go down that route. Um, I think it was because I really wanted my dad's approval mm. and maybe didn't feel safe without it. And I felt like I had to do that to get his approval. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like you're right that your core emotional challenge is that you did not matter. Mm. I mean, so here's the other question with that is that when like the most recent moment where you felt really fulfilled, you know, really heart filled, um, were you helping someone feel that they matter? It's probably a bad sign that I can't think of the most recent moment that I felt that way. <laughs> That's probably not a good thing. Well, I mean, think um, about, um, well, you've been filling out the tracker, but I mean, in terms of the impact that you've had on others. The other way I've said it, the, the way, the other way it's come up for me. And, and by the way, dear listener, if you're still listening, thanks for sticking with through this. This is, this is what it looks like in, in reality. Um, <laughs> The other way it's come to me was like, it felt like I couldn't be myself. I couldn't like develop and express who I wanted to be. It, like I'd had to, it always had to be something else that somebody else wanted. Yeah. Um, and so like one of the things I can think about that is it's been really uh, exciting and it feels really good for me is when I can help people uh, develop and express themselves like for who they really are, like to, to kind of more fully express them, like who they really are as opposed to what the world wants them to be. Um, and I would say that's that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's a perfect example of you helping someone else feel that they matter Mm. because expression, um, in order to fully express yourself. So your example that you gave about going to military school, um, you're saying that really wasn't an expression of who you are. Um, and so Mm -hmm. you're saying, I really Mm -hmm. like to help others express themselves, um, I, this is what I see with this is that the core missional challenge, that's a, that's a very, like not, not feeling like you don't matter and then helping other people in some way feel as though they matter. That's a much more specific thing than, 
I'm helping mm-hmm. somebody. You know what I'm saying? So it might be that yeah. you thought that I'm helping them express themselves um, or, but is is it really, it could be connected to in order to be fully expressed, they have to feel that they matter first. Hmm. Yeah. When I've looked at the, cause you provide some good examples in the book of, of sort of some yeah. common types of patterns in terms of the purpose. The one that most resonated with me when I look at, at that one and, and my own sort of writing in the past was, and, and journaling and things like that was, um, the idea of potential of helping people like live more fully into their potential. That one, you know, I have always been for as long as I can remember driven to. I felt pulled to, to, you know, maximize performance, maximize potential, whatever, however you want to say it. How is that connected? How is that connected to this idea? Yeah. Well, I mean, again, potential is connected to mattering because what you're describing, what you didn't have is that your potential was connected to the vision of your fathers. Mm-hmm. And so therefore you were divorced from yourself like what you really wanted. Your own potential mm-hmm. was cut off because you were living, um, you were you were pursuing the potential that made sense to your father. Correct? Mm. Yeah. Yes. So essentially, again, potential is, I would say it's a, um, a common way of talking about this. Whereas, you know, you may not have thought of this language before. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, this is new. This yeah. is new. Um, in the sense that at the root of potential, is making someone feel like they matter. That's the only way they're fully going to be to fully actualize their potential is if they feel like they matter. Mm-hmm. What I would say is if, I mean, does this not resonate? It's resonating, but it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't um, feel, it's not like, maybe I was expecting like some sort of over, like feeling bowled over kind of feeling. Yeah. Um, it doesn't feel like that. That's okay. But the thing is, is that you're pretty close. Yeah. I think that you, you said very clearly, this is what I think it is, is that I didn't matter. And I think that helping people live up to their potential is a version of this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, look, I'm just reflecting what you're telling me, but the way that you would ground yourself in this is to go through another meaningful moment or put yourself in a situation where you want to have an impact or use that language potential. When are you helping? Like, you should give me an example of when you've helped somebody actualize their potential. Sorry, I was also cheating and looking back at my journal entries uh, where I, I knew I had journaled a lot about this a couple months ago. And what I, here's what I wrote then. And this is something Tell I wrote okay. in, in the journal back then. Yes. And, I, and I'm happy to, we'll come back to the, the thing, um, the, yeah. the example question. So what I wrote then was that the core wound was um, not feeling uh, loved. I'm just going to directly quote. Yeah. The core wound was not feeling loved and seen and accepted and valued just for being, for being just who I am, not feeling like I mattered. That was what I wrote. Yeah. I, and then I said, I always felt like I had to be something else in order to be loved and accepted. I had to fit into someone else's expectations, someone else's standards. Mm. Um, yeah. And then later on, I wrote something, you know, that it's really meaningful to me to develop and express who I really am to live, you know, more fully into my authentic potential. Um, and that that's meaningful to me to see that in others as well. Yeah. So then the way that translates to a purpose statement is that you help other people realize what, what is important to them matters. I help other people realize that what's important to them matters. Yeah. That feels good. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that has, that lands. It's like helping them understand that their vision, their potential, what they want to do matters. Yeah. And take action on it. Yeah. Like it, it it's, the, the other way I've said is said it in other things I've written, like in my journal and whatnot, is is to discover, develop, and express who they are. Hmm. And well, here's that's, the that's thing that I would say: it. like this is why hmm. um, it's so easy to stick to to stick to general words mm-hmm. when it comes to describing yourself or how you impact others because you're not experiencing it yourself. But I would imagine mm-hmm. that if you talk to somebody who was on the receiving end of of this, of you, that they might even Mm -hmm. say, wow, I mean, you would have to like, you know, they might not say, wow, Andrew made me feel like what I want matters, but maybe. But see, this is the thing is they will have had an emotional experience around you and I would guarantee that it has something to do with that. 
I will tell you what they said. I did that friends exercise. Yeah. And um the impact thing is uh that came up a couple times. Mm. I, I did this with a short list of people, but um there was multiple things around helping them be more of who they wanted to be and could be. That came up multiple times. Mm. And I think that the root uh, of that is helping again what we said before that their wants and desires yeah. matter. Yeah. Yeah. And because they matter, you can do something about them and you, you know, here's how. And you're using your possibility genius, your possibility strategist genius. That's how you help people realize their wants and dreams matter. Oh shit. Okay. Now it just landed (laughs) because (laughs) it just landed because I was thinking for, (laughs) I was just, for some reason, the, the, the podcast episode that most recently went out was with a, um, a badass woman named Nilifer Merchant who wrote a book called The Power of Onlyness. Yeah. And we had this huge moment of resonance in that conversation that we're both so driven about accessing, you know, in your language, accessing the genius inside of everyone. But the idea that like everybody has, like there's potential and there's ideas inside every single person. And I, I, am, I, I get really excited about a world where, you know, everybody's lit up by the life that they're leading and getting to actually spend their time you know, using their gifts, developing, expressing who they are, which I think, as you're saying, the root all of the all of that, that is matter. That yeah. every sing- all these people matter, mm, yeah. right? And and yeah, that's 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 one of the things that I, I as you asked for an example a little while ago, I'm thinking of a guy who worked on my team for the last couple of years. He, he's not on my team anymore. Um, moved on to some other stuff. Um, who was a really junior guy. Uh, I'm not going to say his name to protect his privacy, um, but he knows who he is. Uh, a really junior guy who was overlooked a lot, I think, in the organization. Mm. And um, I thought he, I just thought he was a total badass uh, and and just needed like some some coaching and some support. And I found one of the I found it really meaningful to work with him um, and encourage him and push him sometimes and and challenge him. Um, and he's grown like watching his growth over the last couple of years has been. A very fulfilling thing, mm. like watching the way he has grown and and blossomed, has been really cool. And and I think about other moments in my career um, that that that's not an isolated incident. Yeah. I would say. And I would say the trigger for you on that was that he didn't matter. Yeah. And you saw that, and you were like, okay, that like that the fact that the, he didn't he didn't matter to the organization drew you to him, and then through using your possibility mm-hmm. strategist genius you were able to show him all of the possibilities that then made him feel like he mattered to himself and that his like yeah. his yeah. his potential what he wanted to do his vision really mattered yeah and i think about other other things i've seen that inspire me they all kind of fit that framing where i think about um i'll name a startup that i'm i'm very inspired by and i you know i've i've done some i've known the founder that's uh, a startup called tala which basically does um microfinancing mm. for uh like entrepreneurs around the world so small business people who don't have access to normal like normal financing and credit mechanisms and so they're sort of blocked systemically from starting businesses and creating the things they want to create. I loved that that company was tackling that problem and helping those people get access to expressing and doing the thing they wanted to do, which goes back to your point of like, yeah, what you want, it matters and the world needs it. Exactly. And here's ways you can do it. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, that's what a hot seat looks like. There you go. And and I think it's what's really interesting is in all of those examples, someone's needs were being ignored. Mm-hmm. which is exactly mm. what you described with your father. Yeah. Yeah. Dad, if you're listening to this, I still love you. <laughs> he listens sometimes. So yeah. <laughs> wow. That's, that's, that's really powerful stuff. I'm going to have to sit with that and uh, let that one marinate. Yeah. Let it marinate. And I, 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 what I will say to you is that the next moment like it's really when you're the really pow- powerful thing is when you're in the moment to use that language and just write it down and, and take it wherever you go and reflect on that. And you'll be like, Oh my God, there it is. There, there it is. Mm, because once yeah. I saw my core missional challenge and my purpose, it was unbelievable how often it came up in terms of the movies. Yeah. I like the stories, the stories I like uh, anyone, any sort of like main lead. That's like first, that's like they're starting to see themselves for the first time. I just eat it up. Um, and mm. it is, it is really kind of a core driver, uh, for you. And oftentimes people aren't aware of it. So Laura, we, we've, we just spent a bunch of time, uh, diving deeper into my psychology than probably any listener wanted to go on their first blush. So now I have this sense of this, the sense of like that my purpose 
and I'll play with the language as I go, but mm. that my purpose is to help people realize that they matter and what's important to them matter. Yes. And what I'm wondering is how do you advise people to think about aligning sort of their internal sense of, of purpose with the thing they're actually doing out there in the world? Well, there are a couple ways of going about this. The very obvious way is to, you know, I think this is key when you're interviewing or looking for a job is to find a company whose purpose and mission is somehow connected to your own. That's the most obvious way. Um, but there's also, you know, I would say for someone who's saving the whales, then their, their core mission challenges, you know, understanding others or helping others feel understood. That I feel like is is something you can tap into in almost any interaction you have, you know, at work. And the key here is, I th- it's really about building the awareness and noticing when that opportunity is there to be had, and then acknowledging when it's happening. Versus hmm. probably doing this without even knowing you're doing it. Hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? And I think this is one of the the questions in the tracker, which is. What is the impact that you had on others this week, this past week? Mm-hmm. I think that question is one of the most important because you are having an impact that's connected to your core emotional challenge and to your purpose. You are doing it because it's how you, you're, you know, you're wired to do that. You just probably aren't acknowledging it and you aren't thinking proactively about ways to created a situation where that could happen. So I think that that's really the intention here is is to, you know, it's and it applies to any environment. And especially I think this mm-hmm. could be easier if you're a manager of people. Clearly the way that you're going to lead is connected to your purpose and to your core emotional challenge. But it also can be, you know, if you're an individual contributor, you know, it can be how you lead a meeting. It can be um, how you support your colleagues. And, you know, again, to me, this is about the awareness and then saying, oh, that's the impact I had. How meaningful is that to me? That's awesome. It sounds a little bit like almost infinite ways to explore and apply our our genius. There are similarly almost infinite ways to express our purpose in Mm. any organization, right? So it's like, am I hearing you right there? Absolutely. And and again, I think it's about the pausing and acknowledging it. Because, you know, here's, here's a story. So I, I, I have the, a friend, actually, who, you know, he was constantly having the impact that was aligned with his core emotional challenge and purpose at work. And most of us are going really fast. We kind of are like, you know, we notice that, oh, I helped that person. That's nice. I helped that person. That's nice. Of course, you know, when mm-hmm. he left his organization, um, he had all of these emails that came in and they were giving him specific uh, feedback on you changed my life. And the way that you really helped me with that one particular thing um, really helped me uh, feel, you know, change my career direction. And he got all of this specific feedback on the impact that he had on them. Now, he then had this like, you know, a couple days of feeling, you know, immense, uh, immensely fulfilled. and so. What I'm saying is that he could have felt that way all along the way because he was having the impact, but he wasn't acknowledging it. Once you really can tap into this and you're intentional about it, to go back to that word you, you were stressing, yeah. you know, that one can experience this much more, experience that sense of fulfillment much more along the way. That's a really appealing, hopeful idea. Um, because yeah. it's like, wow, you know, I don't have to, like, I think a lot of times I, I've fallen into this trap of thinking like, there's the one perfect job mm. or the one perfect organization that if I could just get a job at, you know, for some people it's Google or, you know, if I could just get a job here, everything would be perfect. And it's like, no, it, it doesn't work that way, you know, right. because it's, it's, you still have to drive that for yourself is, is really what it seems like. There's many different um, approaches to this. I mean, obviously for me, um, I created a business that has the impact of my purpose. So when I work, but you know, I also have marketing and operations and I have sales, not just client work. And so I acknowledge that that the marketing stuff probably it doesn't fulfill my purpose. So I'm hiring someone to do that. Now I didn't have the ability to do that six years ago. You know, so I have intentionally created a business where when I'm working with clients, it's completely aligned with my purpose. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, you could also just you're in an organization, you've discovered that your personality type is well-matched with the environment and you're using your genius. And hey, I realize that I can actually be more proactive with um, with my purpose by acknowledging that when I'm managing people, I'm helping them feel understood or whatever the specific core emotional challenge is. Um, and that can check all the boxes. 
So there's many infinite variations of how this can be applied. Yeah. Great. What you're going for is to check all those boxes, but you don't, it's almost like you don't have to fulfill those needs in all the parts of your organization, right? Like, I can fulfill that desire for fulfillment and impact maybe through the way I lead a team or, or manage people or, or whatever the case may be there, even if the, the thing that our organization does yes. isn't expressly aligned with my purpose the way yours is. I mean, that's great if that is, but right. you know, it isn't always the case. Um, right. And just like that scenario with my business, even though that's my business, if I'm working on sales, I'm not fulfilling my purpose. That, that intrinsic yeah. motivation isn't there. So this isn't something that you're meant to feel 100% of the time. It's about... Um, um, you know, I always say 60 to 70% of the time is is ideal. Um, but just understanding that can then shift your work experience from I there's nothing right to there's a lot right. And what can I do to get more right? Mm. I think that's a really um, freeing idea because I, I know I have certainly felt like, you know, you, you can get into a place where you just feel like it's a little bit hopeless. It can mm. feel almost hopeless where you're just like, I can't see how to do it here you know, I'm wasting my time. You know, these are things that I felt at times in my career. I, I have had many conversations with people either I work with or friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's a common refrain. So I think that's actually a really important thing for people to hear is that, you know, you can do this in any organization. Now, certainly if you're in, yeah. it sounds like if you're in a bad, you know, a bad organization, a toxic organization or, or an organization where you think it's, you know, doing something bad for the world that you don't want to be a part of, like, yeah, go, you shouldn't stay there. Go, go somewhere else that you, you feel better about. But it, it sounds like you can still have everything we're talking about here, this joy, this fulfillment on a daily ongoing basis, even if the thing, the, the thing your company or organization puts into the world is not like 100% aligned with your purpose. Absolutely. And I think that's really, um, I think that's really free. So yeah. thank you for that. You're welcome. So I want to, I want to shift gears here and we're yeah. going to go ahead and close out with some rapid fire questions. They're short questions I like to ask everybody. Um, your answers can be as short or as long as, uh, as works for you. Cool. At this point in your life, this stage, whether that's, you know, the next year, three years, five years, whatever, however you think about it, what does success look like for you? Well, I'm already successful. So I feel tremendously successful in terms of the fact that I experience joy with my work every day and I love what I do. Um, but what I will say is that I have an expanding vision and that vision is always um, changing and evolving with things. The bigger vision right now is to have a bigger team. So right now I I have three employees on in my business and I love, I love, 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 love working with them. I have a marketing person, a content person and an ops person and I would like to double that. I really, really dig the way you said that. You said, I, you know, I'm already successful and you have a definition of success that it lets you be successful all along the way, independent of whatever state of results you've created within your vision, mm. but you have an always expanding vision. I think that's such a nice way to thread that needle that a lot of us get caught up in of like, oh, I'm only going to be successful when, or I'm not, I'm going to be happy if I get this or achieve some result. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like, um, you know, that to me, that's what success is, is just loving what you do every day. And I do. If there is one question you could have the listener, whoever's listening to this, start asking themselves on a regular basis. Maybe that's daily, weekly, whatever. Mm. What question would you have them start asking themselves? You know, well, there's like 16 of them in the performance tracker. So I have like 16. <laughs> but to okay, me, which one's your favorite? Which one is my favorite? Um you know, right now, given what's going on in the world, uh, one of my favorites is, did you approach differences with curiosity? Mm. That's one of my favorite questions to ask myself every week in the tracker now. I like that. So just in closing out, the, the, so the new book comes out September 1st, next week. So dear listener, if you've enjoyed this and you want an action-packed guide to just the heart of how you do this process, go get Laura's new book, Find Your Zone of Genius uh, today. And then once you finish, go to The Genius Habit, uh, which is her former book, and it will help you really round out the picture for yourself. So Laura, first of all, thank you so much for the work you're doing, for being here. Makes a huge difference to me and to to everybody who's had the the privilege of getting to really work with your work. So thank you for that. Um, Just in closing out, what would you like to leave the listener with? Well, I mean, I just want to say you're welcome and it's a pleasure to be here. And thank you for being vulnerable and sharing, um, you know, some parts of yourself that I want more and more people um, to be open with. That's very connecting. I always love to leave people with this idea that greatness is within everyone and that 
it is, you know, you, if you have a dream or you have a vision uh, for what you want to do with your career and life, that that is absolutely possible if you are connected to who you are. Boom. I dropped the mic, but I need it right now. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Well, Laura, thanks so much again. And a true pleasure. Thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you. So much fun to be here. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. That helps us reach way more people and build this community up. For show notes, links to the resources and everything else we discussed, please go to enliven.fm. Feel free to reach out with questions, feedback, or just to say hello by emailing connect at enliven.fm. Be sure to subscribe and until next time, my friends, leave them better than you found them. We'll see you soon.